All right. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday morning. Welcome to episode six of Inside Weekly Trends with your friends, Brian and myself. Brian, another eventful week. A lot of fun things to chat about today. Yeah, good to have, good to be back here. Uh, this was a super eventful week, and uh, surprisingly enough, Elon Musk is not the number one thing on our list of discussion points today. Yep, we have way more important things <laughs> right. to talk about. Yeah, today. We'll get to him. We'll get to him. So, so be patient. We'll get to you. Uh, so, how about you, Landon? You just got back from a trip. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where you were at? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had to visit Miami. You know, there's a lot of hype and a lot of people talking about it recently. We've seen all the numbers. You know, with how many VCs have been moving there. A lot of companies have been welcomed um, to Miami to build there. So I had an opportunity to go to Emerge Miami. Uh, it's a two-day tech conference, uh, premier tech conference, really, really large mm-hmm. event, uh, featured some amazing companies and people. I know Alexis Ohanian spoke, mm-hmm. uh, Pitbull spoke, who's very active in the crypto. And Pitbull, Pitbull it seems to be involved in like nine out of 10 Miami-related uh, things I've, oh, I've ever seen on the internet yeah. and on TV. <laughs> he loves, loves, loves Miami. And yeah. I'm going to have to um, tweet out the video of the his panel when it goes live, but mm-hmm. it was him. Um, the founder of one of, uh, which is an NFT company and the mayor of Miami. And I was just, I was ready to run through a wall for Pitbull. It was literally like I was at a concert. His, uh, yeah. just his way of speaking was so entertaining and, um, really, really interested to hear about his background. But yeah. overall, a lot yeah. of people mention this often in Miami. They say it's not a moment in time. It's a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the mayor says that often. And I believe it. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's rare will you not only get support, you know, professional and, and strong businesses, but also the government is really for building Miami um, into not even the next Silicon Valley, but something that far surpasses it. Um, we'll, what do you see as the tent poles right now? Like what's yes. holding that up and what's leading the way right now? Is it is crypto the space? Is it Web3 stuff? Is it uh, fintech, uh, tell tell me about it. Yeah, I, I saw a diverse range of industries building in Miami, but overall, I'd say like the largest ones that I saw were Web three, blockchain related, um, enabled because you know Miami has a famous uh, crypto mayor, um, Mayor Francis mm-hmm. Suarez is very pro Bitcoin. Um, and he's outspoken about his his investments and um, the fact that you know he wants a lot more young people to learn and get involved in the space. Um, you see the new bull that they just built, the the Bitcoin bull, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the downtown area. So, yes, yeah, it's a uh, blockchain companies is they're really leading the way in Miami. Um, and again, people just feel welcomed. You know, they're encouraged mm-hmm. to build in Miami uh, versus not, you know. Um, saying any names, but I mean, there are a lot of cities that just are not as supportive. Um, You know, a lot of people Mm -hmm. are leaving um, said cities, but um, you know, they're being welcomed with open arms to Miami. How do you think, I mean, you mentioned like on the policy level that the mayor is really gung-ho about trying to create a Bitcoin friendly, you know, crypto friendly city. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you see that as a major uh, point of differentiation for Miami? I'm curious, like what do you, what are Miami's major strengths and what does it lack when it's comparing itself to other cities right now? Of course. So Mr. Wonderful, uh, who I've been watching on Shark Tank for years, uh, had a little small panel um, there. And uh, he recently just moved his business from the East Coast to Miami uh, for tax purposes. Um, So obviously, I mean, far before um, Bitcoin received the recognition that it has, I mean, people have flocked over to Florida, to Miami specifically uh, for the tax advantages. But, um, you know, people are really starting to understand that more. And then also just um, the communities that have been built, you know, blockchain related communities and VC 
communities. I mean, they're really vibrant and strong. The one thing that I'm curious about, though, is because mm -hmm. uh, you know so many people are comparing it to Silicon Valley. So you know, if you look at Silicon Valley, they have a wonderful talent pipeline. You know, you mm -hmm. go to school, and we spoke about this yesterday, Brian. You go to school at the Berkeley, Stanford's, um, other top schools um, in that area, um, and you know, you're encouraged to stay from a lot of these companies um, based in Silicon Valley. I I'm curious if that's going to be the same for students of Florida universities. Um, you know, because historically, a lot of times, you know, they would graduate, and if they're, um, you know, not working um, and continuing to work, you know, with um, within specific sectors in Florida, you know, they might end up in Silicon Valley or um, New York, et cetera. Uh, so I think that the companies building in Miami, these startups, VCs too, need to be very intentional in getting, um, you know, talent from Florida. It's not going to all be about, all right, everybody else in these different cities move to Florida, move to Miami, find a great job. That's important as people have been doing, but they need to be very intentional in um, creating a strong talent pipeline, uh, which is going to really incentivize those students to want to stay and build themselves and work at top, mm -hmm. top companies in Miami. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, even if you look at the history of Silicon Valley, it's amazing the importance that Berkeley and Stanford have had yep. on creating those pipelines, uh, which is doubly interesting when you look at it in tandem with the storyline of uh college dropout founders and founders mm -hmm. who, you know, bypassed getting a degree otherwise before they got to the point of founding their startup and becoming phenomenally successful. And you look at that in the context of the current day where there are so many remote learning options for individual skill sets and we're at a point where workforces are more distributed. Uh, it raises the question of how important is this going to be going forward for yes. an up and coming uh, metro area like you know, Miami, where, where it's building out its, its ecosystem to be a new tech leader. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's fascinating. And I, it's, it's a gorgeous place to go. I mean, I don't think they'll have, it is. They, they shouldn't have much trouble attracting people to, to want to come and visit Miami or oh, think about so Miami, but, it was great. but that's the trick is like, is this going to be a place where you can grow and attract people to, to join your company who are talented and will help you be competitive? Yep. Yeah. And yeah, Pitbull, um, <laughs> spoke a lot about that, uh, where like, <laughs> You know, Miami has never like really gotten the uh, appreciation it deserves or even sometimes, you know, people will just come to Miami for the games or the restaurants, but they won't like uh, really, you know, support uh, the communities and, you know, help build mm -hmm. Miami. They just kind of use Miami, yeah. what Pitbull kept saying. So he hopes that sure. that doesn't happen this time around um, because, you know, Miami's had these set on set, um, you know, moments in time in the past, uh, but it's mm -hmm. never been. Uh, sustainable. So I, I think that this mm -hmm. time could be different if um, these companies, VCs, give mm -hmm. a you know heck about Miami and want to yeah. actually help build the community and like actually are strategic about doing that. Mm -hmm. We'll see what the ne see what the exits start looking like in you know a few years. And I hope, yeah, it's always good to see a, see a new city find a new uh, new uh, way to distinguish itself and find a new niche to you know find a way to lead in tech because not everybody can be Silicon Valley, but you can be you know. You can be your own city. You can be a fintech leader. You can be a you know ag tech leader. Or you can be an ad tech leader. There are a lot of options. So um, agreed. Cool to see, and it's nice yeah. to see somebody taking a lead on Web three stuff. Very exciting. Let's uh, let's turn our attention over to an existing leader who had a rough week <laughs> yeah. this week, right? Um, let's uh, so Netflix announced its earnings for the period of January through March this year. 
and the results were not good. Uh, I don't know if you, did you see the did you catch the earnings call? I did, but it's, it's yeah. interesting because we knew their subscribers were down. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a bad report, and, and people yeah. and I think analysts had lowered their expectations, but, but analysts were still expecting <laughs> net positive subscribers, and instead they got net negative crazy uh, subscribers. Where are people going? Right. Are you like, for example, are you still very mm-hmm. bullish on the content of Netflix or are you uh, putting time elsewhere? Yeah, it's funny, right? Because you know, Jason asked, uh, our, our founder, Jason Calcanis, asked a question on inside.com this mm-hmm. week about which streaming services people would leave if you were given a choice of you know these five or six, I forget the total, but if you were to keep, if you were to get rid of two of them and keep three, I think, he asked, uh, he said, what would you Netflix, leave? And, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Hulu, and Apple TV. Yeah, and I I mean, HBO Max only gets better with me. I love the fact mm-hmm. that you're getting movies, like mm-hmm. The Batman is on oh there this gosh. week, which That's is so great. Them. Yes. Really, really enjoyed that, actually. More than I expected to enjoy Was that, that your first I, I love that beginning. Or did you watch it in yeah, theater? Yeah, I didn't see it in the theater. Oh, yeah. okay. I've, I've, made, I've made only a couple trips to the theater in the past year, mm-hmm. and usually it was uh, like on vacation days or on the weekends when I could go in to matinees uh locally uh, but i didn't see the batman in the theater uh, i liked it yeah good. oh yeah we can have a whole conversation yeah. about that one yeah sure <laughs> right, we could it, yeah let's let's save that but you know apple plus they're good but like apple plus's thing with me is they're good once or twice a year for me yep. i don't feel like i'm staying with them so like sure on that list of stream platforms i would get rid of i'd cut hulu which i'm actually not paying for on its own anyway it's free with something else that mm-hmm. i subscribed to a while back uh, and the ads are kind of annoying honestly i don't yeah, pay for that, ad for the ad free experience uh, right yeah. so hulu and apple i think are the two that i'd have to cut okay on that list and i, th- I think i, I use said, all of them right now i said um hulu and netflix actually mm-hmm. yes yeah. i agree Why netflix that, um so i just have not really found i mean been able to find like interesting content recently um you mm-hmm. know sometimes if i want to like you know rehash an old movie i mean yeah, i can go to netflix but I don't know, more time or not, I've just felt like I've spent a lot of time searching on the Hulus and Netflixes and just have gone over to Amazon Prime is another one that we didn't mention. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good movies yeah. on their HBO. Disney Plus, um, yes, it's not frequent that they have um, new content, but when they do, I mean, it's it's amazing. I don't know if you're watching the new Moon Knight. I know you are very into comedy. I am watching Moon Knight. Love yes. Moon Knight, oh actually. They're, they're doing really a really good job with that All show. Those series, and it's also crazy yeah. as a comic book reader to think that we've got, we're have we at the stage where they're making successful Moon Knight TV series yes. <laughs> for yes. a mass yeah. audience. Yeah. Right? A these people who you 20 years ago, I never crazy. would have predicted. That. No, it's, it's amazing to see. And that's why I love Disney Plus because I'm not one to go you know watch the old Disney movies. But I mean, I love the new content that they put out. And I love We Crashed on Apple TV. Um, oh, yeah. A few of these shows, Mythic Quest, um uh, oh what's the show um with uh, jason sudeikis that is the most popular show ever and why am i blanking on it the soccer um, show the soccer um, coach show yeah yeah, yeah. I, wow I what's his name okay well i gotta look it up one second <laughs> oh um i'll just look it up i have no idea ed lasso there it is. Ted Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, for example. I almost it, forgot about it. I haven't watched that. It's so I good. I, you forget I, about I, it. I didn't finish the most recent season. So yeah. I no, I didn't watch the most recent too. That's probably why. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a, a great series. So yeah, Apple TV, and we spoke about it two weeks ago. They're doing the great stuff. The content that's yes. good is really good. It's rich. Really it good. is great content. Mm-hmm. Um, and HBO obviously is amazing. But yeah, Netflix, I just... Haven't been um, super stoked on, but something that we spoke about a few weeks ago is uh, mm-hmm. their interest in buying these gaming studios. 
do you think mm -hmm. that might be able to um, help you know <laughs> improve the numbers? Because I don't know what's going to get yeah. them out of this ditch. They're they're really ambitious and they've had a really I think so far smart strategy of acquiring studios and acquiring existing talent to come in rather than trying to build sort of you know their own studio from the ground up so to speak although they have been developing their own capabilities and operations significantly but uh, I I really liked Steven Totillo's analysis over on Axios about that this mm -hmm. week. He, I think that the quote I, I took away from that article was Netflix's gaming plans currently look like a subscriber retention effort and marketing play rather than a plunge into direct competition with gaming's biggest companies. And that's like the Microsoft's and Sony's and Nintendo's of the world. Uh, and I think that retention word is really key there because when you look at a net loss, it tells you you're not just having a problem growing globally, you're having a problem keeping people stuck to your product that you want to keep using you. So Netflix is facing the question of, okay, if say people like Stranger Things, but then when the season's over, they aren't sticking around, how do we give them something to keep them stuck to that experience and using Attention. Netflix? And yep. so now we have a Stranger Things uh, game or multiple games, I think even, mm -hmm. right, for, for just that one property. Uh, and so they're trying to expand on that and they're starting with mobile because mobile's a screen that people have handy when even when they're not watching Netflix on TV or their other device. Yep. Yeah, so, I think that they uh, might it's interesting. Streaming. Yeah, because I don't yeah. know if Hulu's investing in that and Apple, they have too much going on. Um, so they're probably not going to. It's the way they can sweep. I mean, Apple has a game strategy, but, um, and I will say actually, like Apple's, uh, if you ever played Apple's Texas Hold'em poker game, it's been no, around since the Gen 1 iPhone. Oh, no. They, uh, they within the last few years, uh, refreshed it for new devices, wow. which was cool. Um, I, I'm not like a serious poker person. I'm a recreational poker person on occasion, yeah, yeah. but it's a really, I, I love the experience. It's a fun That's game. And, it, yeah, yeah, I'll check and it I out. love that they've kept like sort of the general experience. It's got like cap video captured actors around a table. Right. Mm -hmm. And the more you play, the more you just kind of recognize people and become sort of like one giant in joke the way they that react. Is funny. Yeah, I'll make sure it's it that. looks very unapple, but it's, I, I'm glad it's still stuck. Around. So we'll see who knows. Maybe yeah, Apple can yeah. jump into the game race, yeah. but I think Netflix potentially uh, that could help them out a lot. What was the other mm -hmm. reason why they had issues? They were, um, they were thinking about adding an ad model, right? Well, that's the, that was the sort of the surprise, but not a surprise because they finally reached the point where they've acquiesced to, uh, people who shareholders probably who wish they would look into an ad supported tier, right? Netflix has distinguished itself from the beginning by not having ads, right? Like we were just talking about, like Hulu annoys the heck out of me it's annoying. when I'm yeah. when I have to do the ads and the content's and, not worth it. <laughs> and and I don't feel like paying for the the non ad tier at this point yeah. with them. Anyway, with with Netflix, they've they've actually been assertive that they would not move to an ad supported direction but now they're looking at that maybe lower price tier of subscriber who they might be able to attract to get new users on the on the service and an ad supported tier is the answer and you know what other streaming services have added that too so um, they're looking at their competitors and I think it's hard for them to say hey all of our competitors are doing this and growing why aren't we doing this and growing mm -hmm. so now they're going to try it yeah, so. or at least explore it. I guess exploring it, it was that the term exploring uh, before they actually I mean, like it. when you have this model from the beginning that people like you know are so familiar with, and then you just you know can completely change up. So we'll mm -hmm. see what happens. I mean, the market yeah. did react though. <laughs> they react, yeah, they, they were react. down thirty five percent, lost fifty billion dollars in market cap. Yeah, uh, just in that first day, and uh, 
that was that was the story of the week leading off tech earnings with them. So I think everybody's trying to figure out in a broader sense too, is what kind of a signal does this send about the viability of subscription streaming products largely and should subscription video products be valued as highly as they have been in recent years. So that I think it's raising question marks across the industry and that goes for uh, companies like uh, Snap and TikTok and uh, you know other, or ByteDance, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, trickles down. kids are spending a lot of their times on those apps, um, probably even more uh, on TikTok than uh, you know mm -hmm. the Netflixes and yeah. But it's crowded, more, so. and, and and you want you want to, and it's it's tough to grab for minutes when people are spending minutes distributed across all those apps. Yep. Yeah. So let's uh, and uh, let's let's get on to 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 the last thing we wanted to discuss today, which third is not third week in a row. Are we the third week, week? He's not headlining though, because and yeah, he's not headlining. <laughs> tell me I'm wrong, but uh, if, for once it, it's maybe uh, noteworthy it's for Elon Musk. Elon, it was a calm week. It was yeah. a calm week. Most of the news that we've gotten has been behind the scenes stuff happening uh, until this morning, which is, and this is Thursday morning. We should note for people listening to this being recorded, circumstances may change by the time you hear this podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the big news breaking this morning was that uh, according to uh, an SEC filing, he has, Elon Musk has uh, found $46.5 billion dollars uh, in committed financing. This is going to be debt financing as opposed to equity financing. Uh, and uh, yeah, $46.5 billion to help finance his potential deal to acquire Twitter. And he secured $25.5 billion in debt financing through Morgan Stanley, Senior Funding, and other firms. This is all according to CNBC. Uh, and then apparently he has, oh, okay, sorry, he does have $21 billion in equity financing in addition to that. Uh, participating firms in this deal include Bank of America, Barclays, MUFG, Societe Generale, Mizuho Bank, and BNP Paribas. Um, so he has he has some people lined up. These are not necessarily some of the names that were rumored early on in the week. It's noteworthy that, uh, let's see, who was on that list earlier that we saw? Um Not notably, I think BlackRock mm -hmm. was not on there, and uh, I didn't see Toma Bravo list listed on there. And I know that was a rumored name that was flying around as of last weekend. So we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, this looks like a situation where we could still end up on Monday with the same surprise we were wondering if we'd see last week, which is Musk acquiring Twitter. Now, it should, we should note that you know the poison pill we brought up last week, which was still a hypothetical a week ago, is now a real thing. The mm -hmm. board at Twitter, uh, they voted in this new uh, rule that would say that if Musk were to reach, I think, what is it, about 15% of ownership of Twitter, then immediately other shareholders would be able to acquire shares for a significantly reduced price, basically resulting in Musk diluting himself the, if, if he were to keep trying to acquire more shares past 15%, right? Um, and this is, uh, yeah, this, this is not a novel concept. These poison pill types of procedures have existed previously at, at companies that have seen hostile takeover attempts. Mm -hmm. But uh, now we're at the point where Musk is teasing that he's going to make a tender offer, which is a straight out offer to buy the, the company for a certain price instead of trying to acquire it through getting more shares. Uh, which was what he was trying to do earlier. And now it looks like we've seen what his 
plan B looks like as of this filing this morning. Because so, of the tweets keep, that he's been yeah. putting out. Yeah, yeah, the tweets. Yeah, he's doing, been doing this meme tease thing that he likes to do where he began on the 16th saying, uh, love me tender on on Twitter. Of course, the reference to the, the famous song uh, popularized by Elvis Presley. And then uh, on the 19th, he tweeted, blank is the night. So, um, you know, this is what he likes to do, right? He's, and it's a, he's, he's an entertainer, it's, it's a, you know? Like, <laughs> he, like, he, he likes to prod at the pop culture yeah. connections he can make with people, tease things. And at the same time, when he does that, he's able to create this conversation without actually expressing yes. intention in a, in a way that's, that's committing to something. Yeah. Yeah, we're all, which, I mean, we're talking about on the show right now and making these assumptions. But yeah, he, he's, exactly. he's all strategic on his end. He, he wants people that is to know about what's going on with this. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. wants transparency. A lot of this obviously is happening behind the scenes, but in the past, historically, a lot of deals, I mean, we don't really have much, um, you know, transparency on or we don't really know what's going on until, you know, the SEC followings come, uh, filings come through, et cetera. But it kind of feels like we're, uh, we're a part of the show a little bit. So it's, uh, it's, it's fun. Yeah. I should correct myself too. It was like Blackstone group was the group that wasn't, I said BlackRock. I said Blackstone. Let's yeah. Make yeah. Sure that, yeah. Let's, let's, let's put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. So we'll see what we wake up to yeah. uh, Monday morning uh, or before. Uh, it seems like the story is not over with Elon Musk trying to acquire. It's never it. over with Elon. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on. Uh, we've got a few quotes to highlight this week. So let's move on to some, some highlights from this really great event we had uh this week this was uh, shopping in the metaverse yeah uh, what went on at this and who did we who did we have as guests landed uh but for this one yeah we had uh, ashley crowder um from uh tana uh for shopping in the metaverse and then also martina uh Welkoff, uh from wxr um they uh, invest um so she kind of gave us the vc perspective uh which was interesting and uh, our very own jigney um our analyst for e-commerce amazing publication that he puts out um, and he obviously includes a lot of great information on our new site as well. Uh, he co-hosted that with uh, Stephanie, our all-around awesome host at Inside. But yeah, first quote that we want to share was from Martina um, BC Angle, um, and she spoke about the type of analytics uh, available currently in the metaverse. Let's take it away. Just as a simple example, kind of if you're looking at the virtual store, you can easily see. You can do kind of a heat map and easily see which areas and which products in particular, because you're that eye tracking, you really know where attention is focused, um, which is obviously very exciting. There's some very interesting conversations around privacy and, and what that means. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very kind of intimate portrait of a user and their behaviors um, that we haven't really had before. So there's still some ethical considerations around that, that I think we as an industry are, ha- are having those conversations and trying to figure out what, what the appropriate boundaries are. Um, but but in terms of what you can measure, it's, it's a, a lot more and you can get a lot more information around what's working and do some really cool A-B tests. Um, uh, you know, just if you think about a grocery store shelf, for example, I think this was a study Accenture did a couple of years back you know, they could see exactly where people were looking and for how long. And so, and then they try different product configurations, try different ways of, um, you know, getting that attention and ultimately conversion um, to purchase certain products. All right. And we're back. Yeah. I really love that she brought this up. So I, there are a few 
key points I think people should take away from this. When when you're getting into VR contexts and in some cases AR contexts, but anything that is a mixed reality, virtual reality scenario where you have a headset on you, one of the things that these devices in many cases are doing is tracking where your eyeballs are going, you mm -hmm. know, what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the feedback. Just like in on a website, there are certain things that are tracking what do people click on? You know, in some cases they might be able to tell what your cursor is hovering over. And you may or may not be able to realize this, but this is something that a lot of a lot of big websites are very concerned about. And like they uh, part of the web design process with user experience is looking at these heat maps of where people where people's attention tend to go first what they click on, what drives a, a journey from one point to another. And when you get into this world of XR in the metaverse, this whole experience is virtualized and you are in the middle Immersed. of a scenario yes. where everything around you in this virtual experience it can have a heat map attached, right? Mm -hmm. And this is great for being able to engineer experiences that drive certain outcomes. And I think a lot of people had a slow discovery process about Facebook, as an example, with, with with understanding, oh, when I'm doing this, I'm incentivizing the algorithm to do these things to me, or I'm incentivizing my feed to become this. And you know, Facebook is very, very good about figuring out what you want to do, what drives certain actions, and then putting things in place to optimize scenarios where you'll follow through with certain journeys and actions. So um, this, she mentions that there, you know, there are ethical considerations here. And I think, you know, companies will have to be able to communicate that clearly yes. to users Make sure that people as know. they get into these metaverse experiences. Right. I mean, think about it. If you're walking into a physical mall, for instance, um, and yes, actually in today's day and age, there are ways they have of tracking based on, you know, cell phone signals and stuff where you're at and where you walk around in the mall. So I, I don't want to say that no tracking is being used in physical retail, but in a virtual world for a metaverse shopping experience, they can track everything you do if, mm -hmm. if, if they want, including where you look, what has your attention. Uh, and that's, that's something to expect people trying to do or companies trying to do. So uh, we should manage that and have that baked into expectations that are being set and, you know, set ground rules accordingly, probably in exactly. some cases. Yeah, to all the people that get scared when they're, you know, talking about a product with a friend and they see it on their Amazon uh, shopping list, mm -hmm. just the, the best is yet to come. Just wait. <laughs> it's yeah. very yeah. weird. But if, um, if, you, if you think you're being tracked, if you, if you think oh. companies can track a lot of things you do just by your cell phone, just you don't know what wait until you're in the middle yeah. of a metaverse experience. So, exactly. Um, I, I think she's right. It needs to be clear and it needs to yeah, be. Yeah, but if it's something. helpful, you know, if, if you're. Exactly. If you're being shown products that, you know, you're actually interested in, I mean, you know, I'd rather that than, uh, you know, just get bunch of spam and a uh, random um, exactly stuff. that's the balance yeah. can you give somebody a more efficient experience that gets them to where they want to go yes. faster without having to deal with a bunch of noise and figuring out what's noise versus uh, signal which may be relative in in certain cases for different people exactly yeah. um yep so we have uh, one more clip uh from the event um you guys can hear from ashley crowder again um at ventana um the quote that she kind of talks about here is that you can have a white wall store but amazing projection mapping uh, we're going to dive in so you can learn a little bit more about what that means take it away but that connection with the digital and physical world like i've talked to so many um brands who are looking at using more projection mapping within their stores. So say you create this virtual world experience. Well, you know, everyone, I don't know, all over my 
social. It's like everyone's obsessed with like that Monet exhibit and all <laughs> yeah. like like virtual art exhibits where you feel like you're walking in the art. Well, like a store can be like that. You could just have a white wall store, but amazing projection mapping showing this virtual world that was built. Oh. Like you could also go to in VR and virtual, but you could repurpose that content in the real world. Um, and you can make it interactive with, you know, different sensors and things like you could get crazy and wild, which is fun. But uh, yeah, I think, I think you're going to see that repurposed content in multiple mediums and mm -hmm. why I always talk about like the interoperability of content is so important, whether it's from Decentraland to meta to, you know, projection mapped on a store. <laughs> All right. We're back. Yeah. Ashley brings up, a really cool scenario here, especially as you get into mixed reality and this idea of you know, overlays. And it's, it's a neat concept to think about where you could have a retail location that just has white walls, blank, you know, bare bones, everything around. You might walk in with no headset on and just see a, a blank box of, mm -hmm. a, of a space, right? But uh, when you have this ability to layer on experiences and create you know, virtual hybrid experiences within that space, you can play around with, uh, you know, how would somebody like to see art in a certain context? How would somebody like to see furniture in a certain context? Do you want to have some sort of gamified experience that's interwoven into what a customer encounters when they enter your store? Like these, these things are all on the table in this new world and, you know, ways of connect, there are ways to connect that virtual experience to, you know, these online experiences that other people are having. You could have two people in the same store having a common experience with something, for instance. So uh, I, I don't know, have you ever been to one of these art exhibits, like the Van Gogh exhibit where they cover the, the wall in projections, like she's referencing here? Um, I have not. Um, I've seen yeah. photos of them. They're popular on Instagram. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, no, I'd love to go to one and like, you know, see what the... Uh, immersive uh, hype is about but uh they're really immersive i i wonder in some cases if it's the best way to experience the art but i know, I know people have re maybe if you haven't seen it before I, you know it is a cool way to introduce yourself to it but sure. uh, it is i, I think a, a really neat immersive way to get up and close with all of the um you know pieces of artwork that show up in there mm -hmm. um, it is kind of neat to think about like being able to zoom in that far on on a piece of art and, you know witness it at really scale. Yep. yeah but uh you know like she says i think you know retailers and people who design spaces are, are looking at experiences like that as they figure mm -hmm. out what do we need to do to to create the most attractive spaces indoors or with you know mixed reality totally yeah. agree i mean you know we speak about that often on the show that like art and culture they're really leading a lot of this so i would keep your eyes closely on what um the art market's doing uh we yeah. have a go listen to the full recording of that yes that, oh yeah that actually it, it was a fantastic event amazing event Great job. um brian on the subject of the metaverse uh we're bringing on a special guest you know for our next segment um you guys are going to be able to hear from quran who writes our amazing amazing i'll say it again amazing venture capital mm -hmm. newsletter at inside.com we're super lucky to have them uh joining this week for inside weekly trends but um in the conversation yes we spoke about some vc trends but more specifically uh we dove into some uh, crazy valuations that these metaverse companies are getting um some mm -hmm. trends that he's following um within you know where investors are uh, shifting their focus on uh, into the metaverse. So um, yeah, let's, let's it's a great it topic. Yeah, yeah, let's let's go to the interview. All right, we are super excited to welcome on our own inside venture capital analyst Karan Shafeka uh, to talk about some interesting trends that he's been following in the metaverse and funding surrounding that. Hey, Karan, how's it going? 
Hey, Landon. Hi. Nice to be here. Hey, Brian. Hey. Hey, thanks for coming on. Uh, so this is a big topic, right? I mean, everybody's read about the metaverse. There are a lot of companies involved. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of intersections with cryptocurrency and Web3 technologies and XR. What are VCs interested in and where do you see strategies at right now? Yeah, so this has been a really big topic since uh, Facebook announced their strategy and you know, pivoted into the metaverse. So after that, we have seen a huge spike in terms of the interest and not only in terms of VC interest, but in terms of public interest as well. And that has really brought on a huge chunk of money into this sector. Uh, just last week, we saw Epic Games announce a $2 billion investment, which they received from Sony and from the Lego Group. And just a week prior to that, Lego Group had actually signed a contract with Epic to build a metaverse for the kids. So things are pretty are getting pretty serious in the metaverse and people are investing a lot of funds into it. Uh, in fact, City recently reported that the metaverse is going to be an $8 trillion to $13 trillion market by 2030. So that's going to be a very huge opportunity. And they expect about 5 billion people to be involved in the metaverse. So things are slowly starting to heat up into this sector and we are seeing increasing number of people getting into into this and some companies are totally pivoting towards metaverse and that essentially becomes their core strategy so karan we've hosted a lot of events at inside shopping in the metaverse dating the metaverse is coming uh you know fashion music of these master you know value chains what industries do you think will be win winning at the end um in the metaverse okay so basically there are two spectrums on which the metaverse is currently operating on. On one side, you have gaming and the e-commerce, the NFT and that sector. And on the other hand, you have the, the, the serious applications of metaverse, you could say. And that is where you have smart manufacturing. That is where you have um, the other aspects like medical, using metaverse as medical. So, you know, there is quite a big spectrum on, on this. Definitely the gaming sector is leading the charge in terms of uh, developing the metaverse because as we know, metaverse in the gaming has been around in some form or the other since Second Life probably in 2003 and most recently it has been around from new games, you know, like Axie Infinity, we have Roboblox and the other things. And gaming in itself has seen quite a change. We have gone from pay-to-play games to free-to-play games and now in gaming with NFTs and crypto and the blockchain and Web3 coming in, we are witnessing play-to-earn games in that as well. And especially we are at a very important, you could say, converging point where we have a use case for NFTs also. Like NFTs prior to this were just, you know, you could just show it on your, probably on your Twitter ID or something. But right now you can you may be probably able to use an NFT, let's say an Nike shoe or something like that in the metaverse. So that again is quite a serious application. Definitely, I think the retail sector and the gaming sector is gonna lead the charge, but we are witnessing really huge innovation in the medical sector and the manufacturing sector as well. And I think Seoul, I think there was a, a group in Seoul that did an online uh, lung uh, surgery for, in the metaverse and it had about 200 surgeons who had actually uh, witnessed that so it was 
quite uh-huh. an interesting use case to see for the metaverse. Let's let's break this down because it's it's fascinating that you get into all these use cases that are outside of gaming, right? Gaming's probably the most obvious thing, and I, I wonder to what extent other use cases are going to be mm-hmm. uh, modeling like use cases in the gaming that, that we're talking about related to gaming, right? Yeah. W- which of these use cases do you think will be proved proven or disproven first? Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned retail, I think, as being one of the areas that you see leading this uh i'm interested to know what you think will lead what you think is not proven yet and still awaits you know being proven whether or not it is is actually a viable use case for the metaverse and then i'm also curious what will the commonalities be among these metaverse experiences that have such different you know people using them for different purposes yeah um so I think uh, gaming definitely is going to lead the charge in this. and hmm. Because gaming essentially has witnessed a metaverse since a long time. You know? So that mm-hmm. is definitely going to be the first u- use case. And de- definitely NFTs is going to boom because of the same. Uh, the other aspect I, I feel is going to benefit as well is going to be the retail industry. Because, because you can essentially bring in your items from the real world into the uh, metaverse quite easily you know? and mm-hmm. uh, the other examples while the niche is still there and people are still exploring that like for example smart manufacturing and Boeing is supposedly using smart manufacturing to design the next airplane but that the use case and the actual application mm-hmm. of that yeah explain to me how that would work how will the metaverse be related to smart manufacturing uh, so in essence manufacturing goes through a very different process. So you have the design phase mm-hmm. in terms of the airplanes first, and then you have the electronics and the instruments. So it's quite a multi multi phase uh, process, you know. And through each phases, you have designs which are essentially, although you have three mm-hmm. D models available, essentially you you view them on a two D platform because your screen is a two D platform. So and it goes from one process to the other, and usually it comes back to the first process to get changed and to get tweaked over time. And so essentially, are you ta- if I understand you correctly, you're talking about a, a three-dimensional virtual space yes, for collaborative yes, design. Yes. Yeah. So, so in yeah. a sense, like you have seen it on Iron Man series, probably where mm-hmm. uh, Tony Stark creates his Iron Man suit in 3D perspective. Now imagine right. that, but having like 20, 30 people working on the same drawing in mm-hmm. real time. And immediately, once you do some mistake or you think or the computer thinks that that's not right, that will highlight that part, you know, so you can work on it and iterate it quite instantly and in real time. And you have 30 people working on the same drawing and the same model at the same time, rather than waiting for somebody else to finish. Then you receive that updated drawing and then you send it back. So that's going to be one of that's these use cases. Yes. So what you're and, saying and, uh, is that, that that's being extended to medical as well. People are creating mm-hmm. digital twins of of people of patients participating in clinical trials. So you know, so the time for mm-hmm. drug development, which is approximately six to seven years, which is a huge time. So that can be considerably reduced if you use the metaverse and AI. Wow. Super exciting. Looks like Elon might be uh, becoming the next Iron Man sooner than we thought. Yeah, <laughs> he's halfway there, so yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so, Karan, I have uh, two questions for you. Uh, the first on onboarding the next, you know, million plus to the metaverse. Um, you know, obviously, so many 
you know, really large builders in the space that are working on XR, metaverse, crypto related things, you know, they're preaching decentralization, decentralization. Um, do you think that, you know, users might and consumers might be willing to give up a lot of their decentralization um, just to increase their user experience and connected to that? Um, because, you know, you've been posting a lot of trends that you're following on our website, inside.com. One of those a few weeks ago was that, uh, you know, a lot of these Web3 founders are not interested in giving VCs board seats um, yeah. to the subject of because they want decentralization. They don't want control. Uh, they don't want these VCs coming in and, um, you know, kind of telling them what to do. Do you think that's going to be, I mean, time's going to tell, but do you think that's going to be sustainable um, for both VCs and founders not giving up board seats? Um, so just overall, both questions aimed towards decentralization. Yeah. Uh, so decentralization is an interesting topic because we are, I think, yet to witness a really true decentralized organization as of now. And with the advent of Web3, that will change definitely. Uh, yeah, right now, there are there are two bunch of people's I mean, I mean, companies who are really driving the innovation forward. One is the big organizations like Facebook and you have Sony and then you have Epic Games who are actually driving innovation. On the other hand, you have these smaller companies who are bringing in truly remarkable changes mm-hmm. to the organization. So the, the, I would say the balance of decentralization would be really tough to get into this because there are many factors involved in having a true decentralized organization. And I do believe that we will see some form of decentralization and some form of an open metaverse where, you know, you have these interoperability challenges, which are sort of kind of extinguished, you know, but it's going to be a pretty hard uh, challenge for them and for all these organizations to work together as one and to have uh, a unified metaverse. Yeah. Awesome. And um, to the VCs yeah. um, as well that aren't taking board seats. Um, so you're saying that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that might not be something that's wise. I mean, if, yeah. if you were a VC, for example, and yeah. um, founder came to you and said, no, like, I just want your money. Well, how would you react to that? Yeah, that's actually quite an interesting topic that you brought forward because uh, VCs are interested in getting on this trend, you know, and, sure, uh, but they haven't bought in serious amount of funding, and that was the same. I think if you see the cryptocurrency uh, sector, you know, so initially there weren't many institutional investors who wanted to invest into cryptocurrency, but then we saw a huge spike in 2021, you know, where I think the funding reached 30 billion plus. You know? So, and that's the same with this, but but there are many firms in which uh, Anderson and all the other firms are leading uh, the investment but but like 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 they say you know nobody has a real idea what the metaverse is going to be like you know so that's why founders are very reluctant to give up that control because they want to have that creative freedom to explore what would be the avenues and the use cases for um, metaverse and these traditional vcs would like to curb that you know with uh, having a board seat. And that is why I think all these founders and Web3 companies especially don't want to give, don't want to relinquish that control. And uh, yeah, that, that's gonna be an interesting fight to see. No one, I mean, we will see uh, all these big stalwarts like Anderson 
Horowitz and Tiger Capital and everyone else bringing in the huge funding probably in early next year. But yeah, it's going to be a huge challenge to see if they if they do get the board seats. That's interesting. Do you, what do you see the big questions being in terms of uh, platforms that are competing directly against each other here for whatever use cases and they're in private metaverses, public metaverses, interconnected metaverses? Uh, what are the big questions you have over the next couple of years as, as these competitions play out? Uh, so there are a number of number of factors. First is that I don't think we have the compute power required to have a true metaverse experience and a true mm-hmm. connected you know, experience because you need... Explain why that is for a second for somebody who might not know. Uh, why does it require so much more compute for, for interconnected metaverses? So you so in essentially in a metaverse, you're, you're rendering a 360-degree world that's live and that's being rendered to thousands and countless and billions, probably billions of people around the world at the same time. So, and having that on a personal computer is not an option because that's going to require huge amounts of graphic processing power, which is not mm-hmm. capable, you know, on, on a laptop and on a PC. Yeah. So you'll probably... You need, you need it to be cloud-based, right? Yes. I mean, so, it, right now, yeah. Yes. So it, it will need to be cloud-based and it will need to be much higher than the compute power that's available now. As per City mm-hmm. Group, that estimate is about thousand times much higher than the compute power available now. And to render mm-hmm. that seamlessly, you'll have to bring, bring bring down the latency of it. So you'll need probably mm-hmm. 5G networks or better. So mm-hmm. that is just just one aspect of the hardware component of Metaverse. On the other hand, you have you have software that's going to be developed and how web and NFTs and crypto is going to link into the metaverse. So, but but I feel the biggest challenge over here will be the interoperability of you know, the mm-hmm. metaverse. Let's say you buy um, a Nike shoe, or let's say you buy a dress or something in one metaverse. Taking that from the one from one metaverse to the other without changing the dimension or the structure of it, that's going to be pretty you know pretty big challenge for I think everyone. And that is what I think mm-hmm. companies are trying to address at the moment to get everyone on the same platform and to have that interconnectivity between all these platforms. Because users will not want to pay like twice for the same item on different platforms. So that's going of to be course. an interesting challenge. Presumably. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just scratching the surface. It's still so early. Um, but it's good that these issues are being addressed early. Yeah. Uh, so we can find quick solutions and uh, make a cool, interoperable uh, metaverse in the future. Yes. Yeah, this is a great topic. Thank, thanks for coming on. I, I hope anybody who has enjoyed this conversation will follow everything else we've got to say about it in uh, Inside VC every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow uh, Inside Venture Capital on inside.com and subscribe to Karan's newsletter. Uh, and we hope to see you there and we hope to hear from you in the comments under his, under his articles that he posts there on a daily basis. So. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to episode six of Inside Weekly Trends. We had a lot to discuss this week with Netflix, uh, Metaverse, and our last Shopping in the Metaverse event. Um, As always, you know, episodes go out every single Friday morning. If you have any stories that you want us to mention and talk about on this show, you can just simply go to inside.com, upload a story, uh, start the conversation, and we'll see if we can bring it on the show. All right, everybody, see you next week.